Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Well, good morning, church. My name's Chad and I'm a member here. I totally get what Chad's saying because I don't want to look like me, so my condolences to him and his family. I'm doing the best I can, people. All right, if you would click or open your Bibles to Jeremiah 31. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Mark, and I get to be one of the ministers here. And we're glad you're with us this Christmas Sunday as we prepare ourselves for this weekend and the activities that are coming on Friday and Saturday. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I don't expect you to answer. I just want you to think and ponder with me this morning. Uh, What is one of the most precious gifts of Christmas you've ever received? One of the most precious or important or impacting uh, gifts you've ever received. I know sometimes you go to church and to to defeat the commercialism of Christmas, preachers like me make fun of all of that. I'm not going to because I think remembering is one of the gifts of Christmas. If you think of that gift, that powerful, impactful gift that you received at some point in your life, chances are you think of a person, the person who gave it to you. I think of gifts that were given to me by relatives who are no longer with us, and I didn't appreciate them in the moment. My parents gave me that look like, you will, and now I do. You might think of a a special environment, like someone's home or the surroundings of that morning, or just maybe it was a present you wanted and thought you'd never be able to have, and someone ponied up and paid for it, and you were like, wow, that's awesome. Whatever that is, I want you to, to hold those thoughts, because I think remembering about gifts matters. If I ask you this question theologically, what is one of the most important gifts that God ever gave you at Christmas? If I didn't allow you to say Jesus, how would you answer? Because it may be Jesus, but it may be, what about him? What did you like so much? Now I'm just remembering, my parents would ask us very often, what was your favorite favorite gift you got this year? And I thought, because they wanted to know all my emotions, they were just trying to figure out what not to get next year, right? But they would ask that question and it would resound. So if I asked you, what's the most important thing God gave you in Jesus at Christmas, how would you respond? I would like you to consider this as a possible answer, that God is knowable. That because of what God did through Jesus at Christmas, you can know him. That Jesus is more than just the removal of our sins. Heaven one day, a greater king than the world can offer that God has made himself known in Jesus for a purpose. Because the the scriptures teach me, and as you read them, you'll discover this. God is not simple. God is not predictable. 
God cannot be made into a caricature. You can't turn him into a cartoon character with three things that God is and then that's it. In fact, I believe the reason God tells us not to open ourselves to idols or to make images of him is because it is so limiting to the expanse of what God is. Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet Isaiah says this, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He's unsearchable. He's not a thing we can ever figure out. And God doesn't do this because he's being difficult. God's not doing this to be evasive or elusive. He's not doing it because he's fearful, we'll crack the code. He is transcendent. He is other than us. He is above and so far above, we can't even begin to imagine what he's like. And yet I tell you that one of the greatest gifts you'll receive at Christmas is the fact that through Jesus, God can be known. Arrhenius said, the Lord has taught us that nobody can know God unless God teaches him. This is what Isaiah said as well, that what we know about God, God has revealed. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of the law. What you read there in Deuteronomy is that God has revealed things for us and they do belong to us. So simply, let me put it this way. What we know about God, we know because he told us. So what you, if what you think about God is not found in scripture, you're probably wrong. And if, you, if what you think about God is what Hollywood told you, I know you're wrong. And if what you think about God is what your buddy who's read something one time tells you about God and it's not supported in Jesus and in the scriptures, I caution us to allow the revelation of God found in Jesus to be enough because to God it was enough. Because faith is more than information. Faith is responding to God himself. Not the ideas of God, not the threats, not all the stuff that the world puts on us. Our faith is founded on who God is and how we respond to that. So here's where I don't want us to end up. At the end of this morning, in our time of thinking together as a body of believers, I don't want us to go, huh, is that right? Because that's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about facts. We're talking about the invitation of Christmas to know God deeply. And I'll ask you at the end, are you receiving the gift he's offering you? I don't mean once in your lifetime. Are you today willing to allow God to give you what he desires to give you in Jesus? So why is knowing God so important? Why on Christmas Sunday, focusing this together, are we gonna be using this abstract passage in Jeremiah chapter 31? Because I think it's one of the greatest things we get in Jesus. Jeremiah 9, 23 says it this way. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, to know God, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares God. The revelation God 
has given us is so we might know him. This is what would make his heart delight. That we would, when we see righteousness, love, and justice, we would know who God is and we would be grateful for who he is. So I know it's a weird correlation, but track with me for a moment. Growing up, my grandfather smoked a pipe. Now you can judge the wisdom of smoking or not, however you so choose, but my grandpa did smoke a pipe. And I loved hanging out at his house when he would smoke his pipe and he'd blow this big puff of smoke into the living room. And I would jump off the couch and attack it like I was a superhero and it was a villain. He got a kick out of it. He kept doing it. I would do it all day. My grandmother rolled her eyes. But when he smoked that pipe, about three or four weeks ago, I was walking through a place and somebody had just smoked a pipe. And it wasn't a cigar and it wasn't a cigarette and it it wasn't a vape thing. It was pipe smoke. And I was transported at 56 years of age, I was transported back in time to being a 9, 10, or 11-year-old in my grandparents' living room with my grandparents enjoying it. And I thought two things. I missed that place and I missed them. That sensory moment took me back to a place that's very special in my heart. Now, I'd like us to look at Jeremiah 9 and I, I want you to hear what God is telling us. When we find real love, not human love, real agape love, when we experience the sensation of righteousness, when we see justice defending the poor, the weak, and the broken, and the just good thing is done on behalf of someone else, we are transported to God himself. We don't become God, don't get me wrong, but we're experiencing the presence of God on earth. Those moments where the beauty and majesty and holiness of God is made aware to us. Think about it. When you see Jesus, do you not see love? Do you not see a righteousness that is compelling? Do you not see a justice that fixes what's broken? God says, when you see that, then you'll know me. See, the gift of Christmas is the gift of the presence of God in our everyday lives. And he gives us this so we can know him. Jesus told us in John 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. When we're with Jesus, we are with the presence, the gifting of God. We receive what God wanted us to get. In John 17, now this is eternal life, that, you may, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. You see, Jesus is consistent in his teaching. I am here revealing the glory of the Father to you. How are you doing that? Through me. Jesus said, I am the gift to you that you may know who God truly is. See, the incarnation was not just a real creative, poetic way for God to capture our attention. It was a statement about who he was. All of his power humbly offered. All of his glory meekly given. Done in sweetness and in purity. You see, our God has revealed himself so that we can live with him. Not just know about him, but actually walk with him. God with us, Emmanuel. So this is not a theologian's quest. Is there's actually a reason I want to spend some time together as we approach Christmas with this. If we don't understand the gift of Christmas is, yes, Jesus, but what about Jesus? And dissect that down, distill it down till it's beauty, then this is what I fear. I fear if we don't, our love will become duty. Our peace will become pretending. And our hope will be measured by how well we're doing 
instead of all that Jesus has already done. That we will miss the beauty of the gift. Having said that, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God says, I established a covenant and he uses the imagery of covenant that is the most profound use of imagery of covenant in all of scripture, Old Testament and new, marriage. The marriage, the commitment of two people to one another. And he uses this and he says, and they broke my covenant. They broke our marriage. They, and how do you do that? Unfaithfulness, unwillingness. And the terms of the old covenant, God said, I gave myself to them as you do in marriage. You give yourself to another person for this commitment to be there with one another. He appeared to them. He appeared in a burning bush. He appeared on Mount Sinai in fire to Moses. He appears in a pillar of cloud, a fire and a, a cloud at night. He, he did the things to lead them and to show them his presence. He spoke to them through the law written on the tablets. He dwelt among them in their traveling motor home called the tabernacle in the wilderness and then the beautiful temple that Solomon built. God said, I gave myself to them. I, I was with them. I appeared to them. I spoke with them. I dwelt with them. But then he says, but they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them. And they broke the covenant. Well, I need to say it over. We broke the covenant, not because it was too hard, but because we were unwilling, we were uncommitted. We entered into a vow of a marriage with God and we had one foot out the door looking at other options. So did God quit on us? Did he abandon us justifiably? Did God look down and say, you left me, I'm done, I'm moving on, I have no more space for you? No, he did not. God dove in deeper. God pursued the broken relationship to restore it. In Jeremiah 31, 31, he says, the time is coming when I will make a new covenant with them. He made this choice. He is pursuing a people that broke the marriage and he's going after them. And he goes in deeper with a more richer commitment. This is what he does. He appears not with symbols of fire and clouds. He appears through Jesus. He speaks not in words written on tablets, but he speaks the words of scripture that penetrate our hearts and our minds and are affirmed by the Holy Spirit to be true. He dwells not in buildings and locations, but he dwells in the heart of each person, saved and cleansed by the blood of Christ. That is why the most significantly powerful Christmas verse in all of the Bible is not found in Luke chapter two or in Matthew. It's found in John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. He has made himself known. This whole series has been called, What a God. I'd like to end this series by saying, what a gift. That the God of the universe could be known. Let's look at verses 33 and 34. I will be their God and they will be my people because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, 
You see, Jesus coming in the incarnation not only provided forgiveness of sins and a future and the power of the resurrection, but it also provided an opportunity for those who would never receive an opportunity to know God. It was no longer in a temple. It was no longer in a location. It was no longer by a bloodline. It was for the least and the greatest. He went to the humble and the broken and the hurting and the rich and the elegant and the powerful. But I want you to notice, not everybody who was given the same opportunity took it. Will we receive what he's offering us? for ourselves. Isaiah chapter 57, this prophet writes these words. And I want you to notice this beautiful moment in scripture. For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. But also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I love this verse. I have not cherished it enough. This says that, yes, God sits, almighty creator God sits on the throne over all creation. Nothing is greater than him. It could not be. He is transcendent above all created things. And there God sits in his purity and his majesty and his glory and the world should fall on their face and fear because of our brokenness and our sinfulness and our pride. God says, yes, I sit on the throne of the almighty power of the entire universe, and I also will abide in the presence of the humble and weakened who receive me. What a God we serve. He does not throw us out because we're not enough. He enters into our world so that we might know his love. So what do we receive through this knowing his presence? It's important to know that God can be known because he's giving that to us for a reason. What is the reason? The word intimacy. I don't mean the worldly intimacy that we just make physical. I mean the legitimate intimacy that includes the social, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual. You see, intimacy is the mutual and willful giving of yourself to another. It's mutual. It's between two people. It's willful. It means you're making a choice to choose this person and offer yourself to them. Think about it. The God who cannot be understood has gone so far as to reveal himself in Jesus so that you could enter into a mutual and willful relationship with him. First John chapter 2. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. My wife has this cute thing she does all the time. She found out about it. I've never really told her that it makes me smile, but it's cute. And she found out this morning in church. Every now and then, my wife will look at me. Well, that's a lie. Every day, my wife will look at me and say, can I ask you to do one thing today? Now, the inner comic in me always wants to respond, yes, if it's only one thing. But because I want to stay married, I don't. I always look at her and I go, yeah, what? And she's like, well, never mind. You got an attitude. No, no, just tell me what you want me to do. But every day it's, can I ask you to do one thing? Yes, you can. You're my wife. You're my partner. You're my friend. You can ask me to do anything. I may not be able to do all of them, but you can always ask me. It's a mutual, willing relationship. I want you to hear what John says in 1 John 2. If God should ask you to do something, Does his love motivate you or does duty motivate you? Is it a burden to trust God? 
to do what he asks, to receive what he's offering. This is what John is saying. It's the love of God that creates this desire to say, no, you are my partner. You are my spouse. You are my, my God, my king. Of course, you could ask me to do anything. And in all of my ability, if I can, I will do my best. Amen? This is what God gave us in Jesus. Think about the garden. The night he says, not my will, but yours be done. This one great task you gave me, I'm willing to give you because you are my father. Now think of any relationship you have and if you value it, and it is blessing your life, I bet you will find that there is mutuality and willingness. Two people committed to do whatever they can to love, serve, and protect themselves. God has offered us that in Jesus. Look at verse 33 with me. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God said, I am going to give you a reason. I'm gonna write my love on your heart, on your soul, on your mind, because of that, you will love me and you will trust me and I will be yours and you will be mine. I know this is strange, but who in the world can call you theirs? Like, I'm going to use my name as weird as that is, but who in the world can say that's my mark? I can think of three people. I thought of five, but two of them can only call me my dad. And that's different. I love it, cherish it, but it's different. Three people in this world can call me theirs. Dale and Marilyn and Heather. My mom, my dad, and my wife. Now, I'm Marilyn and Dale's kid. I had no choice. But I'm sure glad I was. I'm Heather's husband. I'm very grateful for that opportunity. A relationship built on mutuality and willingness. And yet, even with my relationship with my parents, which is different, I am theirs and they are mine. They are my mom and my dad and nobody else in the world will replace what those two were for me. You're with me, right? Did you hear what Jesus came to do? He came by his life to show us a God who is known so that we can be his. You're his daughter. You're his son. Your name is written on the palm of his hand, the prophets say, so that you and I can say, he's mine. He's my God. He's my father. So whoever calls you theirs has a right to make a claim of a mutual willing relationship where love is the motive. So how does this break out? If this is what we get by knowing God, let me bore down just another level. There is clarity in his truth. What God tells us to be true clarifies our minds. Through the ministry of Jesus, we know God. Through the scriptures, we know God. Through prayer, we can know God. And through community, sharpening one another as iron sharpens one another, we can know God. I'm here to tell you, you can find the knowledge of God growing deeper and deeper in you within your church community. This is not an organization trying to circumvent what God did. We're actually trying to make all of us more aware of what God has made available to us in Jesus that you might actually find your completeness in him. So this whole series has been designed to answer the question, what are we gonna hold on to when the world continually knocks us off our feet? A God who not only can be known, but a God who in the knowing makes you his and he becomes yours. Verse 33, I will write it on their hearts. I was thinking this morning as Madison was singing Joy to the world, there's a line in there. Let every heart prepare him room. 
So I want to ask you this morning, are you allowing God to write on your heart the truth of who he is? And because of that, the truth of who you are? Because every heart is going to have to clear room for God. We're going to have to get rid of things we love and are loyal to that do not deserve it so that we can create space to receive the truth, the clarifying truth of who our God truly is. And there's healing. Verse 34, they will all know me. And because of that, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Every religion in the world says, and if you follow every philosophy of man and every religion in the world, you're going to come to this conclusion. They're telling us if we are good enough and if we try hard enough or empty ourselves enough or do enough of this or stop doing enough of that, that the God, the deity, the figure we're appealing to will notice us, will pay attention to us. I have better news. God reverses the script. God said, I have loved you so that you will love me. I have given you a love that will call you out of duty into relationship, into mutuality. I have sent Jesus into this world as a child to grow up to become a man who will die for the sins of the world, be resurrected three days later, and return as conquering king. I did this so you will know my love for you while you were my enemy, so you might love. John Owen said, the greatest sorrow and burden we can lay on the Father is not to believe he loves us, Timothy Keller was asked a question in a seminar I was listening to, how can you receive the love of God? And he said, live as if it is true and you will find out it is. Wonder if it's true and you may never experience it. Are you allowing him to heal your heart, to receive his mercy? Are you allowing the gift of Christmas to go on the cross and die for the sins that you and I brought to bear? On him, As Chad said during his communion thoughts this morning, that Jesus became sin for us, that we might receive life from him. So there's truth in Jesus. There's healing in the knowledge of God in Jesus. And there is love beyond mere obedience. Mere obedience. I will be their God and they will be my people. A God we can know and a God we can be known by. You see, I want you to hear the good news this morning. God doesn't command us to love him because he can make us love him. God is not saying, I'm almighty God, you will love me and like it. No, it's not our God. He sent Jesus to humbly walk among us, to live in our domain. Not because he couldn't understand us, but so that we could understand him. And he did all of this so that we would know him, love him, serve him, and most of all, be with him. Are you allowing yourself to be his? I've asked you some of these questions and I'm not accusing you of not. I'm simply saying that you could have received Jesus a long time ago and never have received Jesus. Or you could have received Jesus and only received some of what he came to bring us. On this day, regardless of our past, on this day, will we let God write on our hearts? Will we forsake others for as long as we both shall live, knowing it will be eternity. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 has some beautiful depth to it. May God grant me, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in my inner being, so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. I'd like to reread this verse over us. I'd, I'd like you to, to pay attention to the subtle changes, but I'd like to make this possibly a prayer for us today? 
May God grant us in this nowhere location, at this nowhere church, on this nowhere date somewhere in 2021. May God grant us here today, according to the riches of his power and glory, to strengthen us with that in our soul so that Jesus may dwell in my heart through faith, that we would be his sons and daughters and he would be our God. God would be pleased this Christmas if you would receive the gift of Jesus without fear or hesitation, even if you already have. Christmas, if you would know him more through his son. God would be pleased this Christmas if you would let him wash away your pain and shame. God would be pleased this Christmas if you would be his so that he can be yours. You see, the baby we celebrate at Christmas has never not been a king. The Christmas story is not that he gave everything up. He was God on earth. He's always a king. He's always been good, kind. He's always been strong, true, and holy. He came as a child to show us his mercy and grace and patience with us, to experience the lives we live and yet face all of that temptation with strength and honor to teach us that we can trust him because he can be trusted. Will you receive what he's revealing? Will you offer him your total self and risk intimacy with mutuality and willfulness? And will you be cleansed, restored, and sent into the world to proclaim glory unto God in the highest and on earth peace to those who find the favor of the Lord. The back of this room are two tables that have lamps lit on those. Maybe today's the day for the first time in your life, you wanna say, he is my king. I wanna be known by him and I want to know him more. It's called discipleship. It's following this mighty king all the way through our lives. It's entering into a covenant of marriage with Jesus that he is the groom, and we are the bride. Maybe today's the day you, you want to make that decision. We would love to begin a conversation with you about what it means to enter into an intimate relationship with the King of Kings. And we will journey with you because that's what churches exist for, people together walking with Christ, that you might find your completeness in him. Maybe going into the holidays is hard, and we know for many it is, the dysfunction, the pain, the memories that I started to draw out of you today make you cringe and wish they were different. Maybe you just want someone to pray with you today. We are here for you and we would love to journey with you in prayer. Or maybe there's someone God's laying on your heart right now who needs to know the gift of Christmas deeper than the story of the shepherd, the angels, and a star. Can we join you in praying for them by name? Asking that God would awaken them like he's awakened us that this, these persons might hear the angel's song to the shepherds of glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those who find the Lord's favor. If we can journey with you, we would love to. And as we sing this next song and at the conclusion of today's time together, people will be at those tables to meet with you. We would love to walk with you as you walk with Jesus, but let's walk together with strength, because our God can be known 
through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.